As you watch this clip, remember the message from two weeks ago, we can fly. That is, we can uh, surmount the law of sin and death, triumphant over it in the spirit, and live above it. Well, everybody wants a superhero. And you know, that longing in the heart and that imagination really comes from a hunger to return to God. I really believe that. It's reflected in dozens of ways. Listen to the unique wording that occurs in this clip that you're about to see. Fly, by the way. Oh, I don't know, really. No, never actually, uh, you know, bothered to time myself. No? Say, why don't we find out? And how do you propose we do that? Take a ride with me? You mean I can fly? <laughs> no, actually, uh, I'd be handling the flying if that's okay. This is utterly fantastic. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Where are you going? Are you serious? Sure. What's the matter? Don't you want to go? Okay. You don't need these. I need a sweater. It must be kind of cold. No, you'd be warm enough. Ready? Clark said that you're just a figment of somebody's imagination. Like Peter Pan. Lark, uh, who's that, your boyfriend? Clark? Oh, Clark. No, he's nothing. He's just a... Peter he's... Pan, huh? Uh-huh. Peter Pan flew with children, Lois.
Can you read my mind? Do you know what it is that you do to me? I don't know who you are. Just a friend from another star. Get out of school, holding hands with a god. I'm a fool. Well, you look at me, quivering, like a little girl, shivering. You can see right through me. Can you read my mind? Can you picture the things I'm thinking of? Wondering why you are all the wonderful things you are. You, you can fly. You belong in the sky. You and I could belong to each other. Well, isn't that cool? Yeah, I want to fly too, you know? Isn't that cool? A lot of parallels. That's a, that's a really good illustration. You tell me, what's the first thing you noticed about uh, flying? What'd she, what'd she say? You want to fly? Want to go for a ride? What'd she say? <laughs> I need a sweater. Actually, that's pretty cool too, but who's going to do the flying? Better leave the flying to me, Superman says. Better leave the flying to me. You can ride, but you better let me do the flying. And, and you notice how the thing starts out. By the way, I think the sweater thing's cool, too, because, um, you know, she's worried about being cold, but he says, I've got all your needs met. Don't worry about it. Let's just go for a ride. And then they take off, and what's her first reaction? This is scary, man. This is really scary. But then what happens? After a while, you know, she gets bold, and then he encourages her to, Flap out her right arm, you know, and then, and then you see that gradual kind of extension, and the wobbliness turns to smoothness, and hey, we got this thing down. I don't know if she slipped loose or let loose, but uh, the vital message is what? You got to be in contact. You got to be in. You can't do this if you're not in contact. And like Peter on the waves, you know, <laughs> Lord help. And that's what happens to us when we try to do it on our own. Man, we end up fast-tracked to a crash landing, and we need help. We need God to come rescue us. I thought it was uh, interesting at the end. I must be a fool. But Paul says, I'm a fool for Christ. I'm a fool for Christ. I will, I will live in a way that the world cannot imagine, and I will be head over heels in love with Jesus. I will be a fool for Jesus Christ. You know, last week we were in Romans 8, uh, 1 and 2 primarily, although we looked at all four verses, but we were focusing on 1 and 2, and we were talking about the three laws that are mentioned in this passage. Romans 8, 1 to 4, three laws, and we said they were, the law was used in two different ways to apply to three different things. The law of sin and death, which is the gravity pull of our lives constantly towards sin. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is the liberty to live in victory. And the Mosaic law, which stands unalterably as the definition of God's character and the requirement or the judgment by which our lives will be measured. And Paul tells us in those early, early verses, um, we're, not able, we're not able to keep the law because the law of sin and death pulls us down. But then he says victoriously in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law could not do Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. 
sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now this morning, I want to focus on verses 3 and 4 primarily, where he says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. You know, Jesus in this passage is our superhero. He is the mighty conqueror. He is the champion. And Paul reminds us that the problem is not with the law. The law is good. In fact, the law represents the nature of God. The Ten Commandments, the whole law of Moses, the whole Bible reveals to us the character of God. And Paul says there's nothing wrong with the law. In and of itself, it is good. But the problem is, we are weak in the flesh. And we do not have the power to keep the law, and the law doesn't give us any help. It just simply stands there as a standard and says, this is the character of God, this is the expectation of you. Now, do it. And we look at it and say, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. But one of the things that even goes further than that, that we really, you know, I, I know I've said this before, but I'm going ha- to say it a lot more, because it's something that we have a hard time uh, getting a hold of. Not only are we unable to keep the law, but the Bible tells us that because of our sin nature, which has corrupted our inner being, and made us believe that we are autonomous, and that we should live for ourselves and make our own decisions and handle our own stuff. The scripture says when we're confronted with the law, it's not a benign encounter. In other words, it's not, oh, that's the law, I see that. It's the law, what are you doing in my face? Because there's something that rises up within us and says, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. Our nature, when confronted with the law, is actually to rebel. The more law we get, the more rebels we become. That's the nature of the relationship when we're talking about the law of sin and death. In the first hour this morning, I didn't have this in my outline anywhere, but I was looking out on the assembly in the first group, and I realized there, was, there were a lot of veterans, uh, military veterans in the first group. How many of you here this morning have been to boot camp? You're, you're a veteran of the military, you've been to boot camp. Okay, a couple of you. The first, first service here was about eight or nine people that had been to boot camp. You know what the goal of boot camp is? You got it. That's a Marine speaking. The goal of boot camp is to take away your will. That's the whole goal. It is to break you to the point where you will do exactly what you're you're told, exactly when you're told it, exactly the way you were taught, without an instant hesitation and no questions asked. Right now, do it. That's the goal of boot camp. And it takes how many weeks? (laughs) Depends on the person, too. (laughs) Some people get to go through it again. All right, 12 weeks. All right, they, I, well, okay, we won't go there. Kevin's not here to defend himself. But, but um, that is constant day by day, in your face, in your ear, in your life. Do what I say, do what I say, do what I say, or you will pay. And the whole goal is to break you down. Because human nature wants to be in charge. That's our, that's our nature. We want to be in charge. And, and people in the military know, if you're going to take troops into battle, and you're going to fight a war, you need people who will do what they're told, when they're told, without asking questions. After you're broken, and you got it, and you're obedient, Then they may offer you some training. You may get promoted to platoon leader. You may be a corporal. You may be a sergeant. You may get to go to officer candidate school. You may get to to take some initiative, but you're still under orders. 
all the way to the commander-in-chief because you have to learn to follow authority. And human nature is so adamant on going its own way that whenever we're confronted with an external authority, our natural tendency is to go against it. Paul says this is our problem. The law, the law is not the trouble. The law is fine. The trouble is me. My heart wants its own way. The law of sin and death keeps pulling me down. Now, how did Jesus deal with that? And Paul says that what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Aren't you glad God did something here? You know, he did not leave us in the lurch. He did something. And, it, and what it says is he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, Jesus is our champion. He is the one who enters the arena of human life and takes on sin so that he can defeat it and lead us to freedom. That's, that's his mission. I've come to seek and save what was lost. I want to deliver these people. I want to release them from the bondage of sin. I want to lead captivity captive and give gifts to men. I want to change the way people are. And so he enters the arena of uh, human life as our champion. And he comes in as the second man or the last Adam. I want you to think about that. And I have a discussion question about it in your small groups this week, but I want you to think about, is there a difference between the second man and the last Adam? I'm going to leave that for small group, okay? We'll just let you noodle on that a while and give that some consideration. But here's the main point. He comes in like another Adam. And what is the connection with that? And why does Paul use the word likeness of sinful flesh? Is he telling us that Jesus is a mere apparition? That he never really became human? That he was something other than human? That he only looked like a human? No. All of Paul's writings are clear. That Jesus came in the flesh. The writers of Hebrews is absolutely clear. Jesus came in the flesh. John writes his whole first letter to counter the heresy. It is heresy to say that Jesus was not really human, that he was not really a man of body and eyes and brain and ears and feet and hands, that he was not really a man. John writes his first letter to counter that heresy. There's nothing here to suggest that Jesus did not come in a human body just like ours. But he came in the likeness of sinful flesh because it was a body like ours minus sin. It, he looked just like everybody he, he walked with. He looked like everybody he ate with. He, he acted like everybody he moved around with in terms of human need. But he was missing something that we have been infected with. He was missing a sin nature. And so he came in the likeness of our bodies, minus the sin nature that has infected all of humanity. And as such, he was the Adam the second time around. Those of you that are parents, you know, you, you, your children, they, they make uh, uh-ohs, and what do you do? You have a do-over, right? Sometimes you have to have a do-over. You've got you to gotta run at it again and see if you can get it right the second time. In a sense, Jesus is the do-over. Adam and Eve did not have sinful flesh before the fall, but they were fully human. Jesus Christ was fully human like Adam and Eve before the fall. In every way human, minus that infection of the sin nature. And he confronted sin in the same way that Adam and Eve confronted sin. And do you recall the temptations? Now, Jesus was tempted all of his life. There's nothing in the scripture to suggest that he was only tempted one time in the wilderness. He was tempted all of his life. 
All the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, there was temptation. I'm sure there was temptation as they stretched his arms out on that crossbeam and began to nail his hands to the wood. There was temptation to be other than godlike in his response. Even in Gethsemane, Father, if there's any way to avoid this. But in the wilderness, we are given a microscope is turned on the experience of Jesus battling with Satan. That is the crucial moment and the focal point of the testing at the beginning of his ministry. And the three elements with which Jesus was tested in the wilderness are the three elements that Adam and Eve were tested in the garden. Do you remember what Eve and Adam thought as they contemplated the tree when Satan said, Has God told you really that you should not eat of this tree? <clears throat> the scripture says, I'm going to go back and look it up. You can in Genesis 3, but do that later. Go back and read it, though, sometime. They look at the tree, and, and Eve, Eve is talking here with a serpent, but Adam is, is kind of there, because if you read the context, you see he's in on this. That it was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. And it was desirable to make one wise. And when we come to the New Testament, we find that Jesus was confronted with the same three trials. At the end of the wilderness temptation, as he is in the wilderness and he's been fasting and he's become hungry, Satan comes to him and he says, See those stones? Say the word, and you can make them bread. And knowing that to do so would be to circumvent the Father's will and to, to fulfill his own needs, his own way, Jesus says to Satan with Scripture, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But do you see the relationship? It's good for food. Here's the food. Then the second thing the devil did was he took him to a place and, and opened up a vista of all the cities of the world, all the dazzling nightlife, all the glories, all the business, all the commerce, all the, 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 the beauty that man could muster, every possession you could possibly want. And he says to him, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything you see. It's pleasant to the eyes, man, it looks good. And Jesus says, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. But you see the relationship of the temptation, exactly the same appeal. Good for food, pleasant to the eyes. Ah, there's one left. The devil took him in the spirit to the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, look, here's what you do. It is written. Notice how the devil quotes scripture. Friends, he comes in as an angel of light, and don't ever think that the devil will not turn the scriptures on you. He will use the scriptures to manipulate you if you do not know them well in context. He will use the Bible to trick you. So don't think for a minute, oh, I got scripture for this. Well, <laughs> is it scripture properly interpreted in the context, in the total, total teaching and schema of the Bible? Because... Satan quotes scripture, he quotes from the Psalms. He says, it is written that he will not allow you to dash your foot against the stone, but he will send his angels to bear you up lest you should dash your feet against the stones. Why don't you jump off this pinnacle? You want to make a splash in Jerusalem? I got just the way to do it. You jump off of here, the angels of heaven will come. They'll see you make this safe landing. They'll say, wow, this is really super guy. And, and they'll all follow you. They will want to do everything you say. They'll follow you around like anything. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He quotes scripture again. But there's the appeal for power, prestige, the, the appeal to be on top. It's desirable to make me wise and godlike. Jesus entered the arena of human history and confronted sin just like Adam confronted sin in the same playing field with the same opponent in the same flesh. And yet, throughout his life, he was triumphant and victorious. He never sinned. He never failed. He never fell down. 
He never lost his focus on his Father and his dependence on the Holy Spirit. And when he came to the cross and he died there on that cross, he was able to be the sin bearer because he knew no sin. He had defeated the enemy in our flesh on the devil's turf in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, he enabled us to be likewise liberated with him that sin having been conquered and paid for on the cross and the atonement covering and cleansing us, we could be raised with him to walk in a new life. Don't ever underestimate all that Jesus did on the cross. You know, we focus on forgiveness. We focus on that shed blood. And that is precious. You are not redeemed with perishable things like the blood of bulls and goats, but with imperishable, as, as with the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. You have been redeemed with something precious. But it's more. It's more. Because in the cross, Jesus Christ defeated sin. He broke its power. And He enables us by His Spirit to live in victory. He took that on the cross that we might fly with Him and soar above the pull of sin into the liberating stratosphere of life with God. Don't miss the significance of that. So what does he say? We're free. We are free through the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now some people think that freedom from the law means freedom to do whatever they please. I can sin with abandon. I've been forgiven. Nothing can touch me. I'm going to make it to heaven just fine. I can live any way I want. Oh, my friends, that kind of libertinism is not what the Scripture teaches. That is not what the Scripture teaches. We are free from the law, but not free to sin with abandon. We have been freed to live in victory. And when somebody tells you that they have been released from the law and they don't have to keep any of the rules anymore, they don't apply to them, what they are actually betraying is that very possibly they have not been born again. Because if the Spirit of God is living in you, he responds to the heart of God and the character of God. A person who thumbs their nose at the character of God and has indifferent toward his commands is a person who does not have spiritual life inside of them. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians, examine yourselves, test yourselves. That's 2 Corinthians 13, I believe it's verse 5. Check, check yourselves out. Don't you know that the Spirit of Christ is living in you unless you're reprobate? Take a look inside. Is he there? John tells us all through his first letter, take a look inside. Examine your life with the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that no one who is born of God can continue to, to live in sin? God has transformed you. There's a change that has taken place. If you don't care, you need to take a look. See if you can find Jesus inside somewhere. Because if he's living there, there's got to be a heart toward God. Now, let me quickly warn you, friends, this whole thing with legalism, you've got to be careful that you're looking at you and not your neighbor. Okay? You need to take the look inside with the Holy Spirit, not over there. Because God may be working in your life in one area and in your neighbor's life in another area, and we don't get sanctified all at once. I mean, how, how many of you, when you got saved, became holy and you haven't sinned since? Any takers? Anybody here been sinless since the day of salvation? Anybody here been sinless this last week? Oh, you're afraid to raise your hand, aren't you? (laughs) Well, I don't blame you because that's a pretty bold statement. And the reason is sometimes you don't even know what you're doing. Okay? And sometimes you don't know what you're doing, but your neighbor knows what you're doing. Okay? Really? Really? You're acting in a certain way and you can't see it, but your neighbor sees it. But God is still at work in your life. That's the reason those tests are for you. You and God. Okay? I can't be your judge. 
I cannot be the one who... Now, if, if you keep living persistently in a way that is so contrary to Scripture, that's where church discipline comes in. But I need to be very, very careful about applying the test to you. It's a test that I apply to me. But it says check out the inside, because if, if God's in there, you've got a different set of appetites. You've got a new wanter. You want to please God. If you don't want to please God, if you want to just go out and party hardy and, and, and live for the world, and live for the flesh, and live for yourself, hey, that's not the freedom we're talking about. But then, notice how he phrases it, that he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. I want us to recognize this morning that there is a significant difference between something being done in you and something being done by you. Okay. What's the difference? If something's being done in you, who is not doing it? You. You're not doing it. Try putting a stent in your collapsed artery. I don't think you're going to be very successful. You see? That's, that's something that's going to be done in you, but not by you, hopefully. The first person to discover successful cardiac catheterization did it on himself. That was a little weird, but because uh, he wanted to make sure he could do it and survive, so he sent all his help home and did it by himself. That's a little weird, but uh, he knew they wouldn't let him. So anyway, that's another story. But when something's done in you, it's not done by you. It's done by someone else. And notice that Paul says, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you, not by you. Please note that very powerful word, in and not by. Many believers live in the mistaken assumption that as Christians who have been born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they have now been enabled to keep the law. Okay? And I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not true. You have not been enabled to keep the law because you've been born again. In fact, you are no more able to keep the law now as a Christian than you were before as a sinner. You have no more power to do it now than you did then. What we have actually been empowered to do is to obey, or more specifically, to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Now, how does this look? Okay, because this is the question. How does it look, God doing it in me versus me doing it? By the way, why do you read your Bible? Do you read your Bible in order to obey it? Think. Think, think, think. <laughs> Hold that thought, Todd. Do you read your Bible in order to obey it? Can't, can you quote me scripture to prove that you ought to do that? <clears throat> I can. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. From James 1.22. Out of James 1.22 comes up the... Okay, you can quote scripture to support that, but it's not in context. It's not in total context. Do you read your Bible to obey the Bible, or do you read your Bible to discover the character of God and our needs and <clears throat> where we are? What's the goal? Because this is an important distinction in living by the law versus living by the Spirit. Let me kind of explain that. Uh, Mark, can I borrow you? You don't have to do anything, but just sit here for a moment. Okay. <laughs> Mark's, Mark's reading his Bible one morning, and he feels the tap of the Holy Spirit on his shoulder. And, did I hurt you? Okay. And, and, and 
And the Holy Spirit points out a verse to Mark. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the need of the moment that it may give encouragement to those who hear. So, now Mark has, has an opportunity to, to respond to that. He can respond in one of two ways. One way is he can say, I'm going to memorize that verse. God just convicted me. I'm going to memorize that verse. I'm going to commit it to my mind, and I am going to try my best to watch what I say. I'm going to guard my tongue. I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a seal on my mouth. I'm going to make sure that that nothing unwholesome comes out of my mouth, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize encouraging phrases. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a book of encouragement, and I'm going to memorize some positive things to say to people. And I, I, God's told me, to, he's convicted me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. In fact, I'm going to cut that verse out, I'm going to print it on a card, 3 by 5 card, I'm going to tape it to my mirror. And every morning I'm going to read that verse, and I'm going to endeavor to live by that, because God's God touched me about that verse. That's one way to do that. You know what will happen if you do that? You will fail. You will fail. The reason you will fail is because James, going back to our lawgiver here for a moment, James says, no man can tame the tongue. No woman can either, by the way. just happens to be generic there, but it's, it's no person, nobody can tame the tongue. Who does that exclude? You? I don't think so. You can't tame your tongue. Pasting that verse on the mirror is not going to help. Memorizing it in order to obey it is not going to help. Learning if these sayings for encouragement and positive mental attitude is not going to help. Trying to keep from saying those ugly things is not going to help. You're going to fail because you let go. You're trying to fly. And it will not work. That's living by the law and trying to fulfill it. Okay, so what do I do with that verse? Well, the reason the Holy Spirit touched you on the shoulder, perhaps, is because he's saying, Mark, Ron, Tom, Cindy, this is the next thing I want to work on in your life. And I want to point it out to you so that you become aware of it, sensitive to this. Because this is where we're going next in our flight path. We're going to experience encouraging words without speaking those idle, unnecessary words. And you say, Lord, you know, I can't fly by myself. And I'm thankful that you've pointed this out in my life and revealed the character of Jesus, from whom no unwholesome word ever came and who always spoke what was needful and fitting for the moment. And so I surrender to you. I give you permission to do this work in my life. And I'm going to trust you with it. God, I put it in your hands. You have my tongue. It's devoted to you. It's one of those members I've already given you. So you have it. I'm going to trust you to do this. Thank you for showing me this. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Because sometimes things that look the same on the outside are functioning very differently in their operation. The Holy Spirit of God may lead you to write that verse out on a 3x5 card and stick it to your mirror. He might lead you to do that. Until it becomes hidden in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. He may lead you to do that. But the difference in how you do it is who's flying? On whom are you depending? How are you looking at this? A new commandment you've got to keep or a new opportunity for the Holy Spirit to manifest in your life? Do you know what would happen if it's a new commandment for you to keep? Friends, many of you are already there. 
If you're doing three by five cards, you've already not only covered the mirror, you've wallpapered your bathroom. You've got about 620 different rules already pasted up. Then you know how hard it is to keep those all the time? That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees who added 600 laws to the Sabbath keeping. That's why he said, you, you people search the world over to make a single convert. When you find him, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Frustrate the life out of people. You make them hate God. You, 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 you get them discouraged. They're defeated. Nobody can live like that. And when we try, we either fail, get discouraged, we hate God, or we rationalize. But somehow or another, we work around it, because you can't keep up with all those rules. But you know what? The Holy Spirit has a perfect memory. In fact, he wrote it down to begin with. He has no trouble remembering it, because he said it. So when you, when you get that little tap on the shoulder, you say, oh, Lord, thank you for showing me this. I yield to you. I surrender to you. I give you permission to do this in my life. I am going to trust you by faith to make this happen. And then what? Uh, this is where it gets a little scary and everybody's doing this kind of number when they start to fly. Then what? Don't worry about it. What? Don't worry about it. Faith is resting in Him. Don't worry about it. You know when it'll come up again? When you have that little conversation with the Holy Spirit? You know when it'll come up again? The next time you're about to say something stupid. You don't, you don't need 650 verses plastered on your bathroom mirror. The next time you're about to say something stupid, the Holy Spirit will do this again. You don't need to say that. That's right. Thank you, Lord. I submit to you. In fact, why don't you say this? Thank you, Lord. That's what I'll do. You can count on him in the moment to show you how to do it. You can count on him by faith. You're flying with him. And when the opportunity arises... And that sin temptation is knocking on the door. You have the privilege. The Holy Spirit will be faithful to remind you. You can surrender, and he will take over and prompt you in the appropriate response and help you by his power as you say, Lord, go to the door of my mouth, and you can close it. And that's what happens. Yielding means moment-by-moment control to the suggestion and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And it results in a life that is in perfect harmony with God. Now, let let me go back to the law for just a moment and make an important distinction here. Again, why do you read your Bible? Do you read it to obey it, or do you read it to discover the character and nature of God and his life for you? Okay? If you read the Bible with the intent of, I've got to obey this, I've got to do this, I've I got to keep this, you're going to fail. But if you sit down with God to have a, a, a conversation with him over his revealed will, over his disclosed character, over his heart, This is his love letter to you. This is who I am, by the way. It also tells you who you are, in case you forget. It helps you keep that straight. This is who I am. And you're sitting down with God having this conversation. And then the Holy Spirit begins to produce this in your life. The way it occurs is so subtle that it almost seems subconscious. Because it's just happening. You know, you're you're past the wobbly stage now when you get this thing down. You're past the wobbly stage, and you're you're just you got you got the grip on Jesus, but you're you're soaring. Okay. And he's and this is just happening. At the end of the day, it's all said and done. You will discover if someone examines your life, wow. 
He kept the Ten Commandments. He kept the two great commandments. He kept the one supreme commandment. You know what I'm talking about? The Big Ten in Exodus. The two great ones that Jesus summarizes them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. You know the one James says, the royal law, the supreme. Love is the royal law. It's the final analysis of everything. He didn't, he didn't speak ugly words. He didn't tear people down. He didn't deliberately horn in line and take the first place. He didn't lie to his boss. He did. At the end of the day, your life looks like the law. But without reference to the law. With reference to Jesus. The requirements of the law were fulfilled in you. This is not about the law. This is about relationship that results in the requirements being met. Big difference. Big difference. The requirements of the law are fulfilled in us who walk not in the realm of the flesh, because the realm of the flesh, and this is where we're going next, so I'm just going to say this in brief summary. The realm of the flesh is, I'm going to do, I can do this, I can handle this, I can be in charge, I'm capable. I don't care how well-intentioned you are, I don't even care if your avowed purpose in life is to live for God with every breath you have. If you're trying to do it, you are going to fail, you're living in the flesh. But if your avowed purpose in life is to live in surrender and yieldedness to the Holy Spirit of God who has filled you with his presence, then you will live in a realm where you can soar with victory over the law of sin and death that pulls us down because the flesh rebels against the law and look with our eyes fixed on Jesus to a place where we can soar with the eagles in real victory over real sin, and at the end of the day, our lives will look like the character of God reflected in the law. Read your Bibles with God to discover his character. Trust him by faith to produce it. I want to end the message this morning by just having you meditate for a moment on the things that I've said as we listen to a song that takes us to the heights and lifts us up. Will you just let the Holy Spirit minister this word to you? When I am down And oh my soul so weary when troubles come and my heart burden be, then I am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me. You raise me stand on mountains you raise me up to walk on stormy seas I am strong when I am on your shoulder 
Heavenly Father, you have come seeking us in your Son. You have brought us back to yourself through the blood of the eternal covenant, cleansed us and made us pure and holy, no condemnation in your presence. You have given us your Spirit, your very presence to live in our lives. You have filled us with your Spirit. Oh, how you long to just take us with you that we might soar like the eagles. That we could run and not be weary, walk and not faint, experience glory and grandeur as we walk with you from now through eternity. Father, we want to be those who learn to trust. The one who is laboring has not entered your rest. We want to be those who have learned to surrender, who have learned to yield to your Holy Spirit, who believe that Jesus Christ is made to us sanctification. He is our holiness. We don't have any. He is our holiness. And oh, Spirit of God, you communicate that to us by your presence. If we but let you alone and let you do it and submit to your leading. Teach us to rest in Jesus and to walk in the realm of the Spirit. We ask it in his precious name. Amen.